0: Good morning, morning. all right, this thing's on and working, all right, cool, cool, always takes me a minute to get that thing on after the mask has been on, is everybody doing good this morning? It's great to see everyone here today, it looks like a a really good-sized crowd, everything's filled in, well, uh, my name's Matt, I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church, if this is your first time here with us, looks like we have a couple first-time visitors, welcome, we're so glad you're here with us, hopefully you enjoyed worship so far. Um, I know I have some of my favorite songs we were singing this morning. It was really great. Uh, before we jump into the sermon, um, you can open up your Bibles, actually, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be spending our time there to the end of that chapter. But while you're turning there, I've got just some, some things, some exciting news I wanted to share before we jump into our sermon this morning. Just a couple updates. Um, community groups. If you didn't know, uh, Mission View Church is a church uh, built on community groups. Uh, we believe that God created us to live out our lives in community, in relationship with each other, uh, that there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, and that God has called each of us to live out life and do life together. Um, we know here at Michigan and around the world that life isn't always rainbows and unicorns. Sometimes it's tornadoes and pterodactyls, and it's in those moments, those hard times, that uh, we want to be connected with other believers. We want to have those relationships that, that as we go through something hard, we can, we can go to brothers and sisters in Christ and, and have those encouraging conversations. And you know what I've found is, is as I've gone through life and hit kind of those hard walls, that as I've talked to some friends, some, some trusted Christian friends, that it's not just me. And I, I've, I go through hard things, and, and I'll, I'll meet someone in my church or in my community group that's gone through something similar, and they'll share with me their experience, and then they'll share with me what God did in their life through that hard experience, but we are a church built on community groups, and it's for that reason, and it's biblical. We believe doing life together this way is how we are taught to do church all throughout the New Testament. So anyways, I wanted to give an update on community groups since it's so important to us. Community groups sign-ups are open right now, and you can sign up for community groups. But they're going to look dramatically different than they have in the past because of COVID-19. So um, the groups are going to be a little bit smaller, which is a bummer because we had some, some larger groups. We're going to stick within the guidelines that our state has given us, which is in a residence uh, um, 10 and under. So that's going to be the size of the community groups. But beyond that, we're going to back up the start date just a little bit. Because what we wanted to do is we wanted to get all the community group leaders and deacons of the church together and talk about these big changes and how it's going to affect what we do as a church. Now, uh, we, were, we were thinking we could put together a plan, and we did, uh, you know, to just divvy that out and we would just move forward. But uh, that's not how we want to do business here as a church. Uh, what we want to do is do it together. So we're going to have a meeting tonight at 630. The deacons, the community group leaders are invited to that. It's going to be here at the high school. And what we're going to be doing is just talking through all these drastic changes that we've been going through as a church due to COVID-19. Um, we, I don't know if you know this or not, we hired a discipleship pastor during COVID, so that's great. Nobody knows him because we've been isolated and quarantined. Uh, Joe Novak, is, he's in here somewhere. Joe, where are you at? Oh, all the way up in the balcony in the back row uh, serving, you know, as a servant. That's awesome. Joe is our our new discipleship pastor. He'll be here this evening as well. Uh, We're going to be hiring a new youth pastor. That's news as well. All these different changes, the changes in our community groups. We want to just sit down with the leaders of the church, have a conversation around that, and work a plan together. So anyways, that's going to be this evening. invite you to come to that. Now, if you're not a deacon or leader in the church, and maybe you've just been attending Mission View for a while, if you want to, to know more about Mission View Church, kind of where we've come from um, and where we're going, uh, I wanted to invite you to um, lunch with a pastor. It used to be called Pizza with the Pastor, but we're not doing Pizza with the Pastor. It's, it's Jimmy John's with the Pastor, because it's Freaky Fast, and uh, so they'll bring it here, and, and there won't be, you know... we. The COVID stuff. We didn't want there to be like a line and that kind of stuff. So you'll, you can order your sub; it'll be here really quick. And if you have any questions about Mission View Church, uh, that's going to be today, right after service, out in the commons, and I'll be available for that. And would invite you to come and meet with us. And if you have any questions, all right. One other really exciting thing before we jump into First Corinthians: um, we bought a building not long ago, and the building team has been working tirelessly with our architect and um, construction company. And we have some really, really exciting news coming out very soon. So I just got the email just like two days, or yesterday actually, from Todd LePage. He's one of our elders, and he's also the head of the building team. And uh, we've, we've got numbers really close to where they need to be for us as a church uh looks like we're going to be able to move forward with the renovation of our new building. And at the end of September, right this, this date, I think it's the 27th, um, uh, it's a s- Sunday in September, we're actually going to be doing an outdoor service at our new building and doing like this tailgate party afterwards. And we're actually going to be walking you through the new facility. Of course, it's not renovated yet, but you'll be able to see and go inside and it's not renovated, so there's just a, a line that you'll be able to walk through the middle of the building, but it's, you'll be able to see everything. So we're really excited about that and moving forward on that as well. And, and, and we'll be uh, available to answer questions at that time for the building stuff, too. So really exciting things. And um, probably the most exciting news, I say, for last is that we're bringing back Children's Church. Can I get an amen? Amen and amen, right? <laughs> Stephanie and Colleen. They have, <laughs> they have been just chomping at the bit to minister to the kids of Mission View Church, so we're going to be bringing that back, and uh, Stephanie's going to be giving you all the details on that, so I'm not going to get into that, the details piece, but I wanted to let all those parents out there know, which is a majority of our congregation young parents, that uh, we are going to be having children's church very soon. So anyways... Last week, uh, we talked about divisions in the church in Corinth and how Paul points them and us towards unity. So as we go through this section in 1 Corinthians, um, we're going to be looking at how to cultivate unity in the church. And Paul's also going to be addressing some sinful things in the church and the divisions uh, that go there now there 's two ways I could preach through this. I could give us all a really hard time about things that we do that are divisive. I, I really don 't like to do that. I, I think that 's the holy spirit 's job to bring the conviction as as I, I share truth with you. I think uh, really how i 'm really working through this is that we would gather the unifying pieces that Paul is pointing the Corinthian church to. so as i 've studied this and worked through this, the Holy Spirit's convicted me of some things as I'm reading through it. Praise God that he doesn't leave us as we are, right? He's continually changing us and growing us, and it's awesome. But as we look through this, I want us to grab hold of the practical, applicable truths that Paul gives, well, that God gives us through Paul to grow us towards unity. Now, that being said, I know that as we go through this, that the Holy Spirit's doing a work that, that no man can do. That these biblical truths are just, you know, truths, but without the Holy Spirit, they, they could just go right over our heads. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, he brings a sweet conviction that draws us to the Lord. And that sweet conviction draws us to repentance. And change. The Bible says that God grants repentance and that we come to Him. It's His kindness that draws us to repentance. It's not not this condemnation. So I'm really excited about how we can draw towards unity. This this week, Paul's going to continue to give us direction on how to cultivate this unity. He continues to point out the failings of the church in Corinth as well. And it's kind of like a, a case study on dealing with division and cultivating unity. We're going to see that the church in Corinth was caught up in smooth-talking philosophers and slick communicators in their city that are infiltrating the church. Paul's going to show us what to what to look to, what to focus on. And and if we want to live out our lives in community, where our attention has to be. This is really, really good stuff. I'm really excited about today's sermon. Let's pray before I read God's word for us today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that it is truth and that it is life. God, we pray that you would change our hearts. We pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that it would draw us to you. God, that you would grant us repentance, that you would grant us change in our lives. Humble us by your glory and your power and your majesty. We pray for a deeper revelation of who you are and who you've called us to be. God, give us the courage and strength to walk out the truths of your word. As difficult as it may be, we lay down our lives. We surrender our lives to you today and tomorrow and the next day. Have your way in us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. He's quoting Isaiah there. We'll we'll study that too in just a minute. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. You may want to underline that, circle that. That's a key phrase here as we're going through 1 Corinthians. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, And folly, or foolishness, to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards." Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I I don't know how to take that verse, you know, 26 there. What's he saying? But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God's word for us today. Now, the first thing I want to pull out of this is right there, right at the beginning, of of our our text today in verse 18. But the fill-in in your notes is this. The gospel is illogical, paradoxical, and irresistibly beautiful. The good news of Jesus is illogical, paradoxical, and irresistibly beautiful. We see it right there in the first two lines. For the word of the cross is folly. Folly. We have to look at this Greek word, folly. What does it mean? It's actually, it's, it, let me just say this before I give you the, the clear definition. It is not a nice word. As I think about this word folly and I, I read this, I'm like, I think of folly and I'm like, oh, look at that guy over there. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know. It's, it's so, that's so cute. That is not, that is not uh, what Paul is saying here. This word, this, the Greek word for folly, where we get, this is where we get our word moron. Or moronic and um, it's funny that that's actually the, where we get this word because we've been watching this TV show what is that show we watched Joe the Goldbergs and the dad in that show is terrible and he calls his kids that name all the time it's just horrible it is not an endearing term it is not nice at all it's derogatory apart from the work of Christ the world will look at the gospel or good news As stupidity, they will become insipid, nonsense, foolishness. These are all words that that Greek word means. We see the word folly and we think, oh, that can't be that bad. It's just they don't get it. No, it is is a very derogatory term. The gospel, it, it just doesn't make sense. Any way you look at it, it just doesn't add up. Think about it as you talk to people that don't know Christ, pre-Christians. I've had so many conversations with people that don't know the Lord, and they say things like this. You're telling me the creator of the universe, this divine being, this God, stepped down into the world and, and became a man. But he was like God, and he was a man, and and he he left this perfect place that you know, you're claiming, and, and he lived out a life of righteousness and perfection, and then he allowed his very creation to kill him, like like on a cross. The the the. The death that's set aside for the lowest of all humanity? Like, like you're the creator God thing, you're saying he stepped down, he did this, and and then he died and he rose from the dead three days later. Like he like was in the grave dead for three days, and he rose to life. Like, and okay, and he did that for me, and I don't have to do anything, like it's just by faith that I just go to heaven because that have you ever had a conversation with someone like that they just don't get it it just doesn't compute and I look at them I'm like yes 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 it's amazing like like the love of God is unbelievable like You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to, your life doesn't have to measure up to, you don't have to be Mother Teresa. You don't have to be like the Pope. You don't don't have to be any of these things. It is the perfect, amazing work of Christ. And and all you have to do is by grace, this amazing grace through faith in what Christ has done. And when you accept that and you see his life, you accept that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sinfulness, weakness, and failures. He sees the perfect life of, of Christ are like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. But you could, you could look at it from another angle. So you're saying, I've heard this one too. You're saying you get up early on Sunday morning, you drink some, some grape juice and eat some crackers every once in a while. You put your trust in a Jewish carpenter that lived like 2,000 years ago? And, and and he was, you know, he was a, a God-man, but he was an outcast. He was criticized by his own people. Eventually, his own people killed him. I mean, this guy went to death in the worst way possible. I mean, think about the electric chair or lethal injection today. That's the type of death, well, even worse than that. I mean, it was the humiliation of the cross and the nakedness and the beating and the, the just the horrific death. And you're telling me that that's God? And we're supposed to follow this? And I'm like, yes! Yes, that is the real Jesus Christ, the Messiah that was prophesied for thousands of years. We can go back and look at writings thousands of years before Jesus showed up and it prophesies and tells us the story of where he would be born, where he would do his ministry how long he would live, how he would die, that he would rise again the third day, what his name would be. We have all of these details foretold thousands of years, hundreds of years before he showed up. And they're just like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I'm like, God's love blows my mind. It flips human wisdom and philosophy upside down, and it makes fools of savants children out of men and followers out of leaders and it makes free men out of slaves the gospel this good news of christ doesn't make sense to the world and you know what that's okay because it's not on us describing this in any artistic or creative way Salvation depends on the supernatural miraculous work of the Holy Spirit changing men's hearts. There's a heart surgery that happens when we come to know Christ. That The Bible says that God reaches down into our chest and he pulls out a heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh that is tender and receives the truth of the gospel. Only God can do that. You can say it in any creative and and, and amazing, smooth way, philosophical, apologetic way you want. But without the power of God, it is meaningless and hopeless. But with the power of God, it changes lives. God is in the business of changing lives. And you know what? God's wisdom just doesn't make sense to us. His ways are higher than our ways. We come up with the most brilliant of ideas or the most groundbreaking scientific hypotheses only to have them changed or proven wrong years later. God is bigger. His wisdom far outweighs anything our minds can imagine. And for man's wisdom, that's our next point. We find it in verses 19 through 21, and it's this. The filling in your notes is this. Man's wisdom does not lead to salvation. Man's wisdom does not lead to salvation or eternal life. For it is written, Paul says in verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Get this, I love this line. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What? Man, this is good stuff. I love this. Paul goes on here, and he's quoting from Isaiah 29, verses 19. Let me read this for you, just so we get a little bit of the context of of what he's saying. He says, "And, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden that is in Isaiah chapter 29 starting in verse 13 if you want to make note of that these people worship God with their lips but their lives don't follow he's talking about tradition they look religious but they have no relationship. They look religious because of what they say, not because of how they live. Their hearts are caught up in a self-righteous deism. And I, that, is, that is America, the American church today. I'm speaking in generalities here, so just bear with me as I go through this. Self-righteous deism. It means we can look at all these laws and we can look at all these good works that we do and we can go and help Salvation Army and we can go on mission trips and we can do all of these things and then we can come home and just pat ourselves on the back and say, man, I'm a good person. Man, I've done really well today. Look at my life. I am amazing. I am one of the most holy people I know. In fact, I'm one of the most humble people I know. Therefore, I am amazing. That's where the church. That's where God's people got in Isaiah, and this is where Paul is saying, "Knock it off! It's not about you. Man's wisdom doesn't lead to salvation. It doesn't give you eternal life. It is the wisdom of God that gives us eternal life, and He's going to tell us exactly what the wisdom of God revealed to man is in just a minute. But that's what we have to look for, and we have to avoid this this idea of of this. Self-made salvation. It's, it's, this is a bit amazing stuff. Where are all the wise? The ones you look to, the ones with smooth talk and big words, catchy phrases and one-line wisdom. Where are they, Paul's saying. Key phrase right here in verse 21. In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It pleases God through the foolishness of what I preach to save those who believe. Get this. God chose on purpose. It pleased him to work out this wild, crazy seemingly reckless, paradoxical, illogical, loving plan to stump, confuse, and humble the wisdom of the wise. It pleased God to choose to do it this way. Now hear this. This is is what it's all about. It is not what you know. It is not how smart you are, how many theological ideas you've wrapped your mind around. It's not how many six-syllable words you can throw into a sentence. It is not how creative and artistic and amazing and brilliant your mind is. It is not what you know. It is who you know. Paul should have put in here, who do you know? Or do you know him? Do you know him? You can can recite the gospel. You can share it with your neighbors. You can know the theological terms and you can know all these doctrinal issues and wrap your minds around it and debate it in the town square as they would in Corinth. But do you know him? My sheep know my voice, is what his word says. Do you know his voice? God's not just some theological idea. God is a person. And he came and lived a real life on earth. And he said when he ascended into heaven, he's sending a helper to live inside of us. That God, the Holy Spirit, the person, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and speaks to us and changes us and grows us. Do you know him? Is God's voice clear to you? Are you growing in your relationship with Him? Or has it just become about a book? Or 66 books? Or a doctrinal issue? Do we know Him? Are we growing in our relationship with Him? We have to remember here this context that Corinth was inundated with scholars and religious leaders and philosophers. Everyone was looking for the next guru. Man's wisdom was at everyone's fingertips. Does that sound familiar? Google, Facebook, man's wisdom. I mean, you want to you learn about Buddhism? Just jump online and Google it. There's classes, you can, you can watch a class at any university in the United States practically. You can learn about anything that you want. You just jump on the internet and you can YouTube it. I mean, you want to redo your bathroom, just jump on YouTube and, and YouTube it. Knowledge, knowledge has to make the long, difficult journey of inches From here to here. From knowing to being known. From religion to relationship. It's not some list of rules or doctrines. It's a person. In this book, It reveals a person, a living person who loves you, who's known your name since before time began. It says that that he set aside good works for you to do long before he created the world. You are not some mystery. You are not some isolated being you were handcrafted by the creator of the universe for a purpose and for a reason. And he's calling you to that purpose and to that reason. It's to glorify God with your life and with your words and with everything that you do. That our lives would be a reflection back to our creator that would be beautiful and irresistible to the ones he's called and chosen. That is who we are, church. Church. We have a mission. Do we know him? Are we growing in our relationship with him? How many people have some Facebook friends here? Anybody on Facebook? You have like 8,000 Facebook friends, 5,000 Facebook friends. We were talking about this. Joe Novak was and we were talking about this. And this is a great sermon illustration. You may have like 8,000 friends on your Facebook page. And you know... Maybe it's somebody you met at a church you went to 10 years ago. Maybe it's somebody that you met uh, as a server at the restaurant you frequent every week or whatever it is, and you add them to your Facebook page, and you're like, I got all these friends. Since social media has come around, that word friends has really changed things, hasn't it? The whole definition of that term has changed. How many friends do we actually really know I mean you think about it, you we could sit here and I, I could tell you all about Michael Jordan, like growing up that is all I watch. I had a Michael Jordan jersey, and I was dribbling in the driveway, and every movie he came out with, I would watch it a hundred times over. I could tell you his stats from his rookie year all the way leading up to his retirement. I could tell you what teams he played on when he switched to the Wizards, and how he took that time off to play baseball, and how that messed up all his stats, and how he's the greatest of all time, and if he would have played through those years, it would just have been amazing, and there would have been no doubt that LeBron James doesn't even compare, and we could just debate that. I could go, on and on and on about Michael Jordan man I really know a lot about Michael Jordan but I don't know Michael Jordan at all I don't know him at all I've never sat down for dinner with Michael Jordan I've never had a real lasting conversation with Michael Jordan about things that matter do I really know Michael Jordan no no I don't. We can memorize this book, but only the author can save you. Only the author can save us. We have to remember that Corinth here was inundated with all those crazy scholars and different things, and we're not so far off from that today. I firmly believe what this means for us is that our evangelism, our mission, and our outreach efforts have to be covered, filled, and drowned in purposeful, dependent prayer. Everything, the vision that God has laid out for us of reaching 200,000 people with the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ, our mission of making disciples whose lives are laid out for the gospel and our purpose of loving God and loving others, all of that is just fruitless and meaningless apart from God intervening and disrupting all of the relationships in our lives and all the purpose in our lives. God has to be in it. And there's something special about prayer, that we would surrender time in our day to God, that we would surrender our mind and our hearts to God in prayer, that everything that we do would be covered and drowning in fervent prayer, saying, God, we are desperate for you. God, in these times of uncertainty, this world is desperate for you, and we need to be the light that you called us to be. I really think that's where Paul is going with all of this stuff. We have to get off of of trusting in men and trusting in our plans and trusting in all these things and get over ourselves and say, God, we need you in our plans. We need you in our strategies. And let's just throw, we'll just do whatever you tell us to do. The Bible says that we make our plans, but God directs our steps. That's why we write in pencil and he writes in pen. We cannot allow ourselves to get complacent in our community groups or in our relationships with pre-Christians. We have to pray fervently for God to distract and disrupt these relationships with his power as we share the good news and we model the good news in our lives. And and that is where Paul makes a huge point here in this text, and it's verses 22 on. And that next filling in your notes is this. Christ is the power and wisdom of God. You want the wisdom and power of God in your life? You want salvation. You want eternal life. You want these things coming fruitful in your life. Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Verse 22 on. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. You might want to underline that. We preach Christ crucified. Now, this was a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness or folly or moronic to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I'm stop right there. Who are we to question God? Who are we to challenge God? His ways are higher than our ways. There is no comparison. God stands above all others. He chooses with great pleasure to display his wisdom and power through the gospel. That in human wisdom seems foolishness. It would be a stumbling block to the Jews. But the Holy Spirit, powerful, revealing God's true wisdom, means salvation to those who God calls. The cross is one of the most offensive, horrible deaths you could have. It was set aside for the worst of humanity. Why? Why would God do it this way? Why would he work the most amazing plan of redemption in that way? We find our answer in the next verses. Verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you of noble birth. righteousness and sanctification that just means change and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord that we would boast in the Lord That's why God does it this way. That's why he just flips our wisdom upside down and says, no, it's not about these quick sayings of of wisdom from man. It's not about these these things. It is about God's all-powerful choosing, sovereign, divine intervention. No man, nothing that we do, compares to the work and amazing power of God and his sovereignty over all things that no man would boast. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live out my life the few years that that we have here on this planet and look back at it and just say, man, I'm glad I did that. You know what? Just, you know, that that 200,000 and these, you know, I'm just glad I followed through with that and did that. Good job. That that is not why we talk about vision, mission, and purpose. We want to be a part of something that only God can do. Only God can, can accomplish it. That's what Paul is saying. Don't waste your life on something that you can accomplish in and of your own strength and power. That's not how God works. God is calling us to something bigger, something greater, something so amazing that when it's all said and done, we're going to look back at it and we're going to say, what in the world? How did this happen? Are you kidding me? Can Can you even fathom We put together these ideas and vision and mission, and and we want God to be in all of those things. And I truly and firmly believe we have aimed way too small. God is going to blow all of our plans out of the water. Are you with me on this? We want to be a church that plants churches, and we talk about three or four here. God is going to do something here at Mission View Church and throughout Ohio, through Indiana, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Kentucky, and then throughout all the world, in Guatemala, and Tajikistan, and we're going to send missionaries all over this planet because God is worth it. And when it's all said and done, we will not boast in us. We will boast in a glorious God who is more powerful and more amazing than anything we've ever imagined. We've been so distracted with stupid stuff like masks and COVID-19 that we're forgetting that God's calling us to something bigger and something greater. We have to look past an election in November. Nothing's gonna save us then. God has already saved us and he saved us to a mission and vision. Don't lose sight. Don't forget we are aliens here. This life is short and fleeting and it's gone in a wisp in a moment. And he's calling us to an eternal calling for his purpose and his glory. That's who we are. That's what God's called us to. Don't lose sight of it. Don't lose sight of who he is and what he's called us to. Our legacy is only a worthwhile and lasting legacy if it reflects and points to the glory and wonder of God. Our legacy is only a worthwhile and lasting legacy if it reflects and points to the glory and wonder of God. We want to be a part of a vision and mission that when it's all said and done, we fall to our knees in worship, thanking God that He did it. I want to take risks. I want to take risks. For Jesus. I want to step out into the unknown. I want to do things that other people are terrified of because Jesus is worth it. And when it's all said and done, we will boast in him. We will boast in the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. What, what a powerful statement you are making here in First Corinthians, God. You, you want to, to just make us, you know, look foolish, and that's okay. Because you are choosing the weak to shame the strong. So, Father, we pray that your light would shine through our lives, that you would cause us to, to take risks and do things that are bigger than us, because we want to see you glorified. And Father, help us to be a people that point to you and glorify you in all things. We don't want any of the glory, Father. All of it goes to the one, the only one, you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.